Well, good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? Good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, I want to welcome all of you to this one service. We're glad that you're here. All of you that are watching online, probably more than normal this weekend because it is Labor Day weekend. But we're glad for all of you that are here. We're also glad for all of our children that are here in the room. How many kids do we have here? Anybody, if you're a kid, let's hear you. Any kids in the room? Can you scream if you're a kid? I know you can. There you go. Well, that, those are some interesting noises. That's not what I actually asked for, but <laughs> some interesting stuff going on over here. That's okay. This is a family service. You can do all of that, and you can make a little bit of noise. That's fine. Uh, we're just glad that you're here. And I know that sometimes big church can be a little bit more boring for the kids. Uh, we'll try to make it as interesting as we can, but you know what? It's just great to have you in here with your parents and with other people with you just watching the adults worship and praise God and study God's Word. It's just a really, really healthy thing that you're here. And today, what we're going to be talking about is really when it boils down to it, how to make friends. So no matter what age you are, I hope that you'll be able to get some good stuff out of our message today. Um, before we get into the message itself, I've got a few things I need to share with you. The first one is that I have been very sick all week, like really sick. Like I had to cancel all my meetings all week, and the ones that I couldn't cancel, I had to, had to do remotely, but I couldn't just do them remotely by phone because I couldn't actually talk. So I had to chat into my meetings, which is very difficult. I do not recommend it. It was really, you're typing and someone else is typing, and you see the thing pop up that they're typing, so you're waiting until they're done, but they see that you're typing, so they wait until you're done. It's a whole thing. Just, it's challenging. We've been praying that I'd be well enough to preach this morning, and I think I am, although I will tell you I am still sick. And so, as a result of that, I just want you to know I'm not going to be hanging out with you today after the service like I normally would. You can tell I was not down there with you this morning like I normally am. You're welcome. Um, and also, I love serving communion, but today I have not gone anywhere near this stuff right here, right? Right? I have not touched, I've not gone near the bread or the juice or the servers. Normally, I have a pre-service huddle. I didn't do that this morning. Other people did that. I am so thankful for our pastors and our staff who were incredibly flexible this week to just keep everything moving, pull everything together. I mean, nothing was out of place. Um, there's no problems at all caused by this because we just have an amazing staff here. But speaking of our amazing staff, we have a lot of openings right now on our staff, and I wanted to give you an update about that. So I'm going to talk for a little bit about all of the positions that we're looking to fill, and many of these have been open since before I came here. And the elders very wisely decided to wait to fill them until the new senior pastor could be in place to help lead through that process. So I just want to give you an update about where we are at on some of these. Uh, the first one is our nursery supervisor and kid connection administrative assistant. And I'm really excited to tell you that we actually have just landed an amazing person for this job. She is a special ed teacher, so she's incredibly qualified to do it. She has a ton of church ministry experience working with kids in children's ministry, and we're just really excited to have her on our team. Her name is Caitlin Wilhoy, and if that name sounds familiar, it's, yeah, you can clap, that's good. 
she is the wife of our technical operations director, Tyler Wilhoyt. So we're really excited to have her joining our team and being a part of that. She's going to add a lot to our Kid Connection team. We're also looking for, I'm just going to kind of give you a bunch of, I'm not normally going to do this, but since I'm going to announce a few things, I figure let's just give you the whole list, right? We're looking for a technical operations specialist. They're going to work with audio and video and lighting. So if you know someone that's into that kind of stuff, take them to our website, let them fill out the application. We're looking for a worship administrative assistant. We've been taking applications and already doing interviews for that. Same thing for a custodian. We've got an open position there. We've already got interviews going for that. We've got a search committee that is trying to, that, that has been working and preparing to go look for a group's pastor. Groups are going to be incredibly important in this church. They're, they're the lifeblood of the church. You've heard me say it before. If you're only coming here and not involved in a group, then you are getting half of what the church is supposed to be, what God says we're supposed to be as a part of the body of Christ. So I want to challenge you, if you're not in a group, get into a group. And we have people that are keeping this moving right now, but there's so much more we need to be doing, and so we're looking for a group's pastor. We're going to be looking for an outreach pastor soon as well. And we have staff in outreach right now, multiple staff. So we're not massively hurting in the staff area for this. Um, but we are going to need someone who can be dedicated as a, as a pastor over that area. We're going to be looking for a senior high pastor. And Don, as you probably know, uh, recently leveled up. And so now he's the executive pastor of Family Ministries. He's going to still be involved with senior high ministry. So some people have been concerned like, oh, no, is he not going to be in there? No, he's going to still be involved there. But we need someone who can kind of focus and be dedicated there and who he can help train and develop and mentor as well. We're looking for a children's ministry director right now, and we've been getting applications from around the country. We've got interviews taking place. We've got some exciting prospects there. So we're actively working on all of these things, and God is really moving in some incredible ways. Now, if you were here at the end of 2017, you may remember that we reorganized the church around four channels or four departments, and that was family ministries, discipleship, service planning, and operations. And I've just got to tell you that those four channels were an absolute godsend. They have done exactly what we wanted them to do. They solved a number of challenges very quickly for us as a church, and I really thank God for that structure because it's allowed us to function very smoothly over this last year in what could have otherwise been a, a more tumultuous time. So it's answered a lot of questions for us. Don is the executive pastor of Family Ministries. That's kids through college. Really easy to remember. John is the executive pastor of Discipleship. That's groups, outreach, and care. And so he oversees that. And then I've been overseeing the other two channels temporarily service planning and operations, which I absolutely love. I have background in those areas. It's been great for me to dive in there and get to know those people and those functions, and we've worked on a lot of things over the last 10 months here. Uh, but we've all known that I can't do that long term. There are a lot of other things that I need to be spending my time on, and so I spend probably about 15 to 20 hours a week on some of the more logistics and administration of the church. Which again, that's in my background. I'm happy to do that. It's been great during this transition time, but we've known we need to get someone to help take that off of my plate and to focus more time there, to really be very intentional about that area. And that's where the executive pastor of operations comes in. On top of that, our ministry support director, our amazing ministry support director, Luann, recently announced that she is planning to retire in May. Now, this is not a huge surprise. She's been talking about this for a little while. In fact, the very first conversation, I don't know if she remembers this, the very first conversation she ever had with me before I even came here, she said, now I'm planning to retire soon. 
but I want to wait long enough to make sure that you have a smooth transition into the churches in good hands moving forward. So she's been absolutely fantastic. But we're going to need to have someone who can take on not just the ministry. Yeah, was there a clap for Luann? I am totally fine with that. Amazing, amazing, and so many years of service here. It's incredible. Uh, but now we have to find someone to take on not only the ministry support areas, but the whole operations channel. So we really need someone that can do that. Well, I believe that God has raised up someone inside of our church to fill that role. And we are going to pick them today by randomly casting lots. You ready? We're just going to, I don't know who they are, but there's some, one of you might get to, no. I'm going to introduce a candidate to you today. And I'm not going to embarrass them by asking them to, to come up here or anything like that. But I'm just going to announce this to you so that you know kind of where we're going with this. And we're going to take several weeks to go through this process together. I want to be clear that this is not a foregone conclusion, even though we've been working on this for a little bit behind the scenes to make sure that it would work out, doing due diligence and all the things we should be doing in this process. This individual will have to go through the same process any candidate would have to go through, all of the, all of the things that, that they would have to do. Let me just share the story with you briefly. A few months ago, I started to get to know this individual better and I was so impressed by him immediately. He's got a ton of business experience, but he's also a leadership development junkie, which I absolutely love, and he's passionate about those things. He's incredibly sharp, and yet very gentle and kind with people. He has not been a pastor before, but he absolutely has a pastor's heart for people. He's a discipler and a mentor, and he's excellent at it. And one of my dreams for this church is that we would become a leadership development powerhouse. Because I believe that is exactly what God has called us to do as a church. He has told us that our job as leaders of the church is to equip the believers for the work of the ministry. He gave us model after model and Paul and Timothy and, and how Paul interacted with the church and raising up leaders. This is something we're supposed to be doing. Now, not many churches do this very intentionally or very well. But my dream here is that across our whole church, in every area, every ministry area, from kid connection to groups to outreach to student ministries to worship to everything we do, we would have intentional leadership development pathways that would be raising up people so that as we have needs in our church for staff or leaders or volunteers, whatever it is, we're not looking around trying to find people or even going outside the church to try to find people, but most of the time, we have already been raising up and mentoring people within to fill those roles. In fact, I want us to become so good at this that we don't have enough places to put them all, and so other churches start benefiting as our people then go who have been trained and raised up here and fill roles at other churches and other ministries all over the world because we are so good at doing what Jesus said, what Paul said, is this is all about. It is a replication process, raising people up, developing them, discipling them, turning them into Christian leaders. That is where I want us to see us go as a church. And I honestly thought it would be a few years before we would be at the point where we could bring someone on who would have that, that passion in their DNA and would want to bring that to the church as well and could really focus a lot of time on it. But I believe we have a candidate who can lead both the operations channel that I talked about and oversee a leadership development influence that would permeate our entire church and just run with that and be visionary with it. And so I'm going to I'm going to announce that, that person to you this morning as a candidate for your consideration. 
There are so many yay God moments in this whole story, things that I didn't know leading into it that then I found out later and went, wow, that's so cool, but I have to save time to preach. So I'm not going to share all of those with you right now. You can talk with me or someone else later. Maybe not me today. Wait till I'm better just for your own, you know. I want to announce to you today a candidate for executive pastor of leadership development and operations. He will have to go through the same process any other pastor would, all the reference checks, background checks, interviews, forums, elder vote, church vote. I'm getting flashbacks just thinking about it. There's a lot that he's going to have to go through. And if all of that goes smoothly, our hope is to have a church vote. Our plan is to have a church vote on October 7th. So the candidate that I'm presenting to you for consideration today with the full support of all of the pastors and the elders as well is Kevin Crosley. One thing you should know, because Kevin just preached a few weeks ago, is that I asked Kevin to preach months before I ever thought of asking him about this role. It hadn't even crossed my mind yet. And so that may seem like that was a coordinated effort, but I promise you it wasn't on my part. Maybe it was divinely planned, but it certainly was not humanly planned, I can assure you. If there is anything that you have against Kevin, and I'll say this anytime we bring on a pastor or an elder, if there's anything you have against Kevin, it's your responsibility to go talk with him directly. Follow Matthew 18. Did we already come up with something? I don't know. <laughs> go talk with him directly. Don't come to me. Don't talk to anybody else. In fact, that is a good rule for all of us to follow. If anyone brings uh, an offense or a criticism to you about someone else, the first thing you should ask is, have you talked to that person about it yet? And if not, then don't even talk to me about it because I, I don't want to be involved in that kind of gossip. Gossip should not be considered among us at any level. There should be no gossip in the church. Always go to the person directly. Always, always. All right, that took a lot of my message time, but I felt it was important for you to have a thorough update on that and also to hear my heart in all of this because I think it's important for you to know um, where, where I see us going, and we've still got a lot to develop in that area, but I think that God is doing big things here. I think that he is preparing us for something really big. I see the impact that we can have on this greater community, and it is huge. And there's so much opportunity there. There are so many people who are lost and hurting and alone and isolated, and we can have an impact on them. I really believe that God is getting us ready to have an impact that we've never seen before. Do you believe that? I believe that. So let's pray now. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Pray that God would use us in a powerful way. Pray that he'd use this series. Pray for Kevin and Pam. Let's go ahead and pray. God, you are an awesome and all-powerful God. And, and what's hitting me right now is just the fact that you are the answer to the problem that hundreds of thousands of people around us are dealing with every day. And they live in a horrible state, not knowing what their eternity will be, not having a relationship with you, and we look in the news and we see all these problems and all these things and people doing crazy things. 
And the answer is you. The solution is a relationship with you and your Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And we have that to offer. We have that message to bring. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be intentional about that as a church. And God, I pray for Kevin and Pam as they go through this candidating process. It's not an easy thing to go through. Give them strength, give them energy, give them wisdom, give us wisdom. Bring to light anything that needs to be brought to light and help us to navigate these waters together in a way that is glorifying and honoring to you. Lord, help us now as we study your word. Teach us, Lord, what you want us to know. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, you'll have to excuse me for a minute. Colds and tears do not mix well. It's like a double impact. All right, this is week two of the How to Neighbor series. And we talked last week about God's mission and our mission. What is God's mission? Does anyone remember? God's mission is to reveal his glory. That's what he's working to do. He is, he is working so that everyone would recognize all over the earth his glory. He is revealing his glory to us. And as a part of that then, one of the things that he is doing is reconciling people to himself so that they can see his glory and so that they can glorify him. Now, our mission in response to that is what? Love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and Love your neighbor as yourself. That is our mission. When we do that, when we fulfill our mission, we glorify God and we lead others to glorify God. Now, a lot of people misunderstand, and this is the big takeaway from last week, a lot of people misunderstand thinking that the great commission that is to go and make disciples is more important than the great commandment and that the reason we love people is just so we can get to the point of telling them about Jesus. And that's not the way it works at all. Our mission is to love people. And as a part of loving people, we will introduce them to Jesus. But we don't just love people to get them to that point. And this is so important to understand before we move on here. Our mission is to love. We don't love so we can get to our mission. Okay, our mission is to love. We don't love so that we can just get to our mission. Now let's take a break. And I want to do something a little different here. I'm going to ask you to talk with each other, okay? I'm going to ask you to tell someone around you about a time when a neighbor of yours did something nice for you. It could be they uh, checked on your dog for you. It could be they mowed your lawn. It could be they got their, your mail for you. Or tell about a time when you've done something nice for a neighbor, Maybe you brought them dinner, um, maybe you brought them a gift of some kind, maybe you drove around their cat instead of over it, you know, just good neighborly <laughs> stuff that we do for each other out of the goodness of our heart. Go ahead, take a minute, tell about something a neighbor has done for you or you've done for a neighbor. All right, let's go ahead and bring it back in. Bring it back in now. 
I hope you had some good stories. I hope you're able to share some things that were very interesting and maybe gave you some good ideas. Oh, this is tough. You're still going. All right, everybody, bring it back in, bring it back in. I'm gonna start coughing on the communion stuff. Eyes up here. I'm glad you have so many good stories to share and you know what you can do over lunch today continue to share those stories. I'm sure there's a lot more that you have to share. But one of the questions that naturally comes out of this teaching is this. Who is my neighbor? Okay, so you're telling me I need to love my neighbor. Well, who gets to fit in that group? Who qualifies for being a part of that? Is it just my next door neighbor's is it, does it include the people three or four or five doors down for me? Do my coworkers count as, as a part of this? Do I have to love my kids, friends, snobby parents? Do I have to love that guy at the gym that's always looking in the mirror? Like, who is a part of this group that I'm supposed to love? And what I love about the Bible is that it answers questions like this for us. In fact, there was a guy 2,000 years ago who asked this very question of Jesus. He asked, who is my neighbor? And that's what we're going to look at today. So open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, and if you want to follow along, you can do that in the YouVersion Bible app. In fact, we've got it laid out for you at YouVersion Bible app, and then go to events and First Free Church, or there's a link at efree.org slash Bible that'll get you to the same content. We're going to read this together, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that is what everyone wanted to know about at this time. That was a popular question. You look at other literature of the day, everybody was trying to figure out how do we inherit eternal life, and different groups in Judaism had different ideas about how to get there. So this was a normal question. Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Of course, this is a teacher of religious law. They're the ones that are supposed to be able to answer these questions, so Jesus puts the question right back on him. The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, right there, I want to pause for a minute, because if you've been paying attention as we've worked through the book of Mark, you may have noticed that there is a discrepancy between this story in Luke and this story in Mark. You see, in Mark's gospel, Jesus is the one that gives the answer to that question. The same answer, but he gives it. And in Luke's gospel, Jesus puts the question back to the religious leader who then answers it, but the same way. Is this a contradiction? Is there a discrepancy between these two stories? And the answer to that is no. This was a popular question of the day. Jesus, over the course of his ministry all over Israel, was probably asked this same question many times by many different people and many different religious leaders. And so based on the context, we can be fairly certain these are two different situations. Mark and Matthew both seem to record the same instance between the two of them. And Luke records a different instance. So then Jesus responds to him in verse 28. He says, right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to what? 
justify his actions. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, why do you think the man wanted to justify his actions after just admitting that it's about loving your neighbor as yourself? Why would he want to justify his actions? I'll tell you why. It's because whether or not he had done a good job loving his neighbor depended on who got included in that group and qualified as his neighbor. That's what he was concerned about. And if we're really being honest, I think all of us can relate to that a little bit because it's easy to love people that we like most of the time. It's easy to love people that are like us that look like us, that talk like us, that act like us, that enjoy the same things that we enjoy. When it gets harder and harder to love someone is when there's something different between me and them. In fact, if you look at most of the wars in the history of the world and you get down to some of the root causes of a lot of the wars, these wars were fought over otherness. Why don't we like them? Because there's something different about them. And maybe that means we don't trust them, but we just don't like that difference, and so we fight. And it's kind of a dumb reason to fight, but it's what we do. What's the solution to that? Well, the Bible says that every person on this planet is made in the image of God, male and female. And so while there are differences between us, lots and lots of differences between us, there is no difference in value. Every single one of us is made in the image of God, and there is a respect that we should have for every single other person, whether they're like us or not like us, because they are made in the image of God. They are of equal value to us. But if the path to eternal life is loving our neighbor, then it's really important for us to define who gets to fit in that group, because Jesus didn't give a percentage. He didn't say, you must love your neighbor as yourself 50% of the time. He didn't even say 99% of the time. He didn't give us any kind of a percentage to work with. To earn eternal life, this is basically what Jesus is saying, to earn eternal life for yourself, you would have to love God and love your neighbor perfectly from the time you are born to the time that you die. There's no exception there. That's what you'd have to do. And so, to justify himself, this man wants to know who fits in that group. Because you see, that makes a really big difference. Now, the man's response should have been, Jesus, what's option B? Because I can't do option A. And if the man had asked that, I think Jesus would have told him, very good. I am the way, the truth in the life. No one can come to the Father but through me because you can't do this, can you? But no, what did the man say? Who is my neighbor? Can you help me out here, Jesus? Can you lessen the standard a little bit? Can you give me a smaller group that I have to love? Because it's really, really hard for me to think about doing that with everybody. And so Jesus answers him with what we call a parable or a story. Verse 30, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, that's down in elevation through the mountains, and he was attacked by bandits. That was a common thing. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. They wouldn't want him coming back to find the authorities and and prosecute them. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, that's a Levite, walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed 
spy on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. What's another word for compassion? Love. He felt love for this guy. He felt compassion for him. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. He put the man on his own donkey so he would have to walk and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. Now, this was amazing for a stranger and a Samaritan, no less, to help a Jewish man to this inn pay for his care and then say, I'm going to promise to come back through here and I'm going to pay for whatever else he owes too. He just saved this man from slavery because that's what would happen if he had to be cared for and took up this room in the inn for a while. When he was well enough, he would be sold into slavery to pay his debt to the innkeeper. So this Samaritan man just saved him from slavery by promising to pay his future debts as well. Unbelievable love and compassion and sacrifice here. And then Jesus says, Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. He wouldn't even say the Samaritan. Jesus referred to him as a Samaritan man. He wouldn't say the Samaritan the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. My first sermon in this church, almost a year ago, before I was even a pastor here, was on this passage. So I'm not going to go through and do a verse-by-verse exposition of this because many of you were here back then and it would just be redundant. So I want to highlight one thing for you. The question this man asks is who is my neighbor? And I think that the answer he was hoping for was your fellow Jew, of course. Treat your fellow Jews well and you will earn eternal life. Because it's easy to love people who are like us, at least easier. But the answer that Jesus gives strikes at the core of this man's false religion. You see, he had this misunderstanding that earning God's salvation had to do with the good works that we would do. And so he wanted to know, what are the things I need to do and who do I need to do them for to get this? That's why he asked the question the way he did. What should I do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to accomplish, Jesus? What is it that I can do to make this happen? Paul was asked a similar question in Philippi by a jailer who said, what must I do to be saved? And what was Paul's answer to this? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You see, it's by believing in the work that Jesus did on the cross by paying our penalty for us, that's what saves us, not any works that we could do. So Jesus In answering this man's question, he gets right at the heart of his false works-based religion. But he does something else too. He helps us to understand from God's perspective, who is my neighbor? Who do I need to show love to? The man beaten on the side of the road was a Jew. The two men that passed him by were Jewish men. 
Not only that, they were religious leaders in their community, but who was it that showed compassion for the man? Who loved him well? It was a Samaritan. Did the Jews and the Samaritans get along? No, not even close. They despised each other, especially the Jews toward the Samaritans. There was a lot of hatred there. In fact, the Jewish people wouldn't even allow the Samaritans into the temple, not even into the court of the Gentiles, which God had specifically set up so that non-Jewish people could come and still be a part of worshiping God. They did not want people in there. In fact, the temple leaders in Judaism told their Jewish people, as part of your prayers in the temple, you are to pray curses on the Samaritan people. These people did not like each other. They were despised. And yet in Jesus' story, it's one of those despised Samaritans, the other, the different, the outcast that Jesus uses as the example of the good neighbor. He was the neighbor. And then he tells this religious leader, this Jewish religious leader, you go and do the same. So here's our question again. Who is my neighbor? Who is it that God wants me to love? And the answer to this is it's your actual neighbor, and it's people that you really don't like, your enemy, and everyone in between. Because if you're even supposed to treat someone like a Samaritan that way, and if a Samaritan is supposed to treat a a Jew that way, then everyone is included in Jesus' definition of loving your neighbor. So, the answer to who is my neighbor is everyone. All the adults, who is your neighbor? All the kids, who is your neighbor? Not bad. Okay, we've got some who are paying attention. Very good. All right, we'll see what we can do here. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, this was not an Old Testament law, by the way. When Jesus says, you've heard this law, this was not an Old Testament law. There's nowhere you will find in the Old Testament that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The Old Testament says, love your neighbor and love the foreigners too. Okay? So this is not where this comes from. In fact, this is not even a rabbinical law. This is not a law we can find anywhere on the books from this time period. This was just a common phrase. Some, some phrase, you know, we have these phrases that go around all the time that, you know, we, we don't understand and, and somebody makes them up somewhere and somehow they become popular and they get all over the place. But... This was just some phrase at the time where people would say, yeah, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. So Jesus is saying, you've heard this, but I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans, even people who don't follow God at all, do that much. So who is your neighbor? Who are you supposed to love? It's everyone, your friends, your coworkers, your classmates, the people that you like, the people that you don't like, the people who are like you, the people who aren't like you at all, and yes, even your actual neighbors. We are supposed to love our neighbors. So I have an activity that I'd like you to try. If you got a weekly program when you came in, on the back of it, you will see this chart. And here's what I want you to do with this. If you don't have one, if you have some paper, you can just draw the squares that you see up on the screen. In the middle of this is your house. 
And what I want you to do is in all the squares that are connected to your house, go ahead and write the names. It can just be first names. Write the names of your neighbors that live around you. Who do you know that lives near your house? Write their names in there. And if you don't know their name, you could write a quick description, you know, bald, wears funny hat or something like that. Just go ahead and write in your neighbors into those boxes right around your house. For some of us, this can be a very challenging exercise. For some of us, we don't actually know our neighbors. We don't actually know who lives around us. We may have lived there 10, 20 years, and the most we've done is wave at them as we're going into our house. Go ahead and write those names in. Who are your neighbors? Now I want you to think about the other neighbors in your life. Who are those other people that you interact with regularly? Maybe they're at work. Maybe you see them at the store all the time, the same people. Maybe they're at school. Other people that you interact with frequently. Add those names in the other boxes around there. So whatever boxes you have left, add the other people that you interact with, you rub shoulders with, just they're kind of a neighbor in your life. You're not, not maybe very close with them, but they're sort of an acquaintance. Now, believe it or not, your actual neighbors, the people that live around you in your house, are some of the easiest people to love. And that, that may not be obvious to you. That may seem really scary to you. But we're going to talk about that in the ne- over the next few weeks. And you heard some earlier with our testimony with Kathy. Your actual neighbors that live around you are some of the easiest people to love. You're around them all the time. Yes, you're in your own castles, but you're, the proximity is pretty close. And so it's easy to love those people well. Uh, and, and the people that you interact with frequently, there are many opportunities you have to love on them as well. And again, we're going to talk about this over the next few weeks. And, and there are probably more names that you could think of later to add to this list. We're going to come back to that grid later, so keep that handy. But I want us to go back to our original question for a little bit here. Our original question was, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? There are two ways to think about that question. Do you see it? There are two ways to hear who is my neighbor. What we've been talking about is who qualifies in that group? Who gets to be in that group of people that I love? Who is my neighbor? And the answer to that is, according to Jesus, even someone that we despise, everyone fits into that group of who is my neighbor. But there's another way to look at that question. And if you don't take anything else away today, I hope this is what you will get out of today's message. If we're going to love our neighbors, we have to get past who is in the group and get to who is the person. See, that's the other way to look at this question. Not just who is my neighbor, but who is my neighbor? What are they like? What do I know about them? How well do I really know my neighbor? I'm going to pick on somebody now. Who wants to be picked on? Don't worry, I'm not going to come and give you a hug and infect you. Who? I'm just going to, I'm just going to pick somebody. Right there, Steve. All right, thank you. No, no, stay there. Stay there. <laughs> Don't worry. Steve, what's your favorite food? Uh, prime rib. Prime rib. Okay, excellent. What is the food that you most dislike in all the world? 
You kind of like everything. Do I need to pick someone else? You like to eat? I can tell. No, just kidding. <laughs> Is there any kind of food that you're just like, oh, I'm not a fan of that? Uh, wow. You even like anchovies, but you're not a big fan of scallops. Okay, work with me here. So, let's say that Steve really hates scallops, and he and I have been neighbors for 10 years, and I've never really gotten to know Steve. I, mean, I don't even know his name. I wave at him as I'm driving into my driveway and into my garage, and all of a sudden, one day after being neighbors with Steve for 10 years, I come over to his house, and I bring him a nice big plate of scallops, and I say, Steve... I just want you to know that I really care about you, and I really love you, and I give him this nice big plate of scallops. Now, is that an act that shows great love and care for Steve? Not, well, unfortunately for you, because you eat everything. Work with me here. <laughs> Pretend if you have to. The point is, it's not showing real, genuine love for Steve because I've been his neighbor for 10 years and I've never taken the time to get to know him. I don't know anything about him. And so for me to show up and all of a sudden claim that I love him, it's very disingenuous because I haven't actually taken the time to get to know what is he like, what doesn't he like, what are his favorite foods. In this case, everything. Now we know. So get ready. But how can I say that I truly love someone if I've never taken the time to get to know them. So now go back to your grid. Pull it out. Look at it. Look at the names around your house, your actual neighbors, your neighbors in other parts of your life. And I want you to think about the answer to these questions just in your head. Look at each of those names and ask this question, how well do I really know this person? Do I know what they do for a living? Do I know what their, don't look at me, look at your grid. Do I know what their favorite food is? Do I know what kind of music they like? Do I know what kind of entertainment they enjoy? Do I know what their plans are for the next few months? Do I know where they hope to be in five years? Do I know what's really going on in their family? Do I know what hurts they are dealing with right now? You can look back up here now. How well do you really know your neighbors? Because until you get to know them, you can't really love them. Yes, you can, you can love someone who's a stranger in a certain way, but you can't consistently love your neighbors if you never take the time to get to know them. It makes me think of another story about a Samaritan. This really happened. Jesus was walking through Samaria with his disciples, and he sat down at a well. You know the story. A woman comes out in the middle of the day, very unusual. It's the hottest part of the day. She should have been coming out in the morning with the rest of the women. Why is this happening? For some reason, she's coming out in the middle of the day, and Jesus is there. His disciples have gone in to buy food, and they start to have a conversation. They start by talking about the water in the well and Jesus needing a drink. Then Jesus says, that he has living water so that she would never have to draw water from the well again. And she says, please give me some of this water. I mean, what a dream come true. This would be amazing, especially in this day where they didn't have running water in their houses to have a source of water right inside your house. That would be amazing. Who could imagine such a thing? And Jesus says to her, go and get your husband. 
and her face turns pale. Jesus touched a nerve because she says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, I know. You've actually had five husbands, and the man that you're currently with isn't even your husband. And she says to him, you must be a prophet. And he says to her, I am the Messiah. And after they talk for a while, she puts down her jar, runs back into the village, and tells everyone she knows about this man, Jesus. And what does she say? Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. So what was it? that so touched this woman. She was a double outcast. She was an outcast because she was a Samaritan and the Jews would despise her. She was a bit of an outcast just because she was a woman. No Jewish man should ever be talking with a a, a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman at the well like this. It was inappropriate. She was an outcast even with her own people because of her past That's why she was coming out in the middle of the day, not in the early morning like the rest of the woman would to draw water. What was it that touched her so much that she wanted to go and tell everyone about this man? Come and see this man who knows everything I ever did. He knows me. He knows everything about me. And yet, he still cared for me. He talked with me. He asked me questions. We talked about mountains and religion and water and my past and my life. And he listened. And he asked questions. And he cared enough to get to know me. He looked me right in the eyes and he talked with me about my life. He knows everything I ever did. He knows me. You see, at its core, loving our neighbors well starts with getting to know them. Who is your neighbor? And who is your neighbor? Who really is your neighbor? How well do you know them? Now, I know you're not Jesus, so it's a little harder for you to go from we just met at the well to I know everything you ever did in the span of, I don't know, 30 minutes, however long it took. So I want to give you four steps Four steps to developing deep relationships with people around you. And you're going to want to write these down. Probably for some of you, you really struggle with developing relationships in your life in one of two ways. Some of you may have the tendency to stay at the surface level and never go deeper. I know for guys, this is a big challenge. We stay at the surface level and we never get deeper. Some of you, and you know who you are, and please don't point at anyone, you go deep way too fast. And it's the first date, and you're already way out of the gate. And you need to just dial it back a little bit. So I want you to write down these four steps to developing deep relationships because this could really help you. Even kids, this could help you as you interact with your friends and make new friends. Here are four steps to developing deep relationships. Deep relationships are formed through conversations that follow these steps. Number one, step one, the things we can see. The things we can see, house stuff, kids' stuff, TV, food, groceries, car stuff, clothes, sports, the things that we can see around us, just the things that that are kind of make up our everyday lives. And for a lot of guys, honestly, this step one is where we live. I mean, we are just, this is where we're at. It's the things around us. I don't even never need to go any deeper. But you know what? You never really get to know people unless you can go deeper. So let's go deeper. Step two, basic personal information. 
This is the next level of building relationships, getting to know people. Basic personal information, your family structure, where you work, what hobbies you're into, your education. If you grew up in St. Louis, where you went to high school, you know, all that important stuff. That's right, I've learned, I know. (laughs) Then we go one level deeper, our dreams and desires. Where do you hope to be in five years? What do you hope to accomplish one day? What's on your bucket list? Where would you go on a dream vacation? These are all questions that start to get below that surface level to learn who this person really is on the inside. But there is a fourth step too that we really don't like to go to sometimes. A fourth step that takes us a lot deeper. It gets us into the mess of life. We don't want to go there, especially with people we don't know very well. But we will never truly get to know who that person really is until we do. And that fourth step is talking about regrets, losses, and pain. Talking about our regrets and our losses and our pain. If you could go back and change one thing you've done, what would it be? What's the biggest thing you've ever lost? And how did it make you feel? What types of experiences cause you the most pain? These are the conversations that you can't just rush into, but unless we're willing to go there, we will never really get to know who our neighbors are. It takes time. It happens over meals and around backyard bonfires and going out to lunch together and standing in the driveway and talking with people, but if we're going to get serious about what Jesus said is the most important commandment next to loving God, it's loving our neighbors, we have to be willing to get into the mess that Jesus was willing to get into, to talk about the past, to talk about all the stuff that was going on in the woman's life, to really dive into those things. So who is your neighbor? Who's in that group of people that you should love? That's an easy one. That's everybody. Everybody around you that you rub shoulders with, that you bump into, that's your neighbor that Jesus wants you to love. That's your mission. But who is your neighbor really? That is for you to find out, to ask questions, to spend time together to create margin in your life so that you can spend that time together, so that you can be available to talk with them, to go deep, to ask questions along those four steps and work your way down there, down to the regrets and the losses and the pain so that you can really understand who they really are, to ask those questions and then to listen, listen, listen. Get to know them. And when you do that, when you develop those deep relationships, watch what happens when God takes that time you've invested and the neighborly love that you have brought to that situation and does something amazing with it in your life and maybe the life of the other person as well. Now just imagine with me for a minute what our neighborhoods would look like if all of us did this. If we all committed, we are going to do this. We're going to make this a part of our everyday lives. We are actually going to step out and we are going to love our neighbors. We're not going to let Kathy be the only one. We're going to start doing some of this stuff. And maybe I'm going to do it a little bit differently than she does because I can't bake pies the same way she does. But you know, I can buy one at Sam's Club. I can, I can do these types of things and get to know my neighbors. It's not just about showing up at the door and giving them something. It's about getting to know them so that we can love them. Would you pray with me? God, you committed the ultimate act of sacrifice and loving us when we didn't deserve it, 
when we were your enemy. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us as we now seek as a church to be loving to our neighbors all around us, to the people that are next door, to the people that are across the street, to the people that are at our work and the gym and store and school and everywhere else that we go, Lord, would you help us to love our neighbors, to really get serious about doing what you told us was the second most important thing we could do after loving you. It's loving our neighbors. Lord, help us to be intentional about it. Help us to do it well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.